0: Road out of Eden. This is the, the long and difficult road that is going to take them from paradise to out into, to, if you will, no man's land, out into the wilderness, uh, to the place where they are now going to have to toil and to sweat and to work for their food. They can no longer just enjoy God's presence or His provision in such a, a peaceful and easy uh, way. And so uh, let us read here tonight Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 through 24. And tonight's main focus is going to be through verse 20, okay? And uh, let's look here. It says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now while these, this seems like a few short verses, there is an immense amount of doctrinal and theological issues that have to be addressed. And as I said earlier, as we kind of introduced this passage, these five verses are really going to bring together the rest of the Old Testament and the rest of the New Testament. Heard it said recently that the um, Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so the whole Bible fits together. Uh, The the Old Testament is not a different God and a a different plan. The New Testament is not a different God and a different plan. It is one message, one Lord, and it is solely fixated on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem a people unto himself himself to, as Colossians chapter 1 tells us, to reconcile all things unto Himself. And that's not just souls, but as well, creation itself. Because in the beginning, God. God created. Things were good. Uh, And then man has come in in chapter 3 and has disobeyed God, has sinned against God, has rebelled against God. Now everything, and not just man, but everything is now in chaos. Everything now is lost. Everything now is on a downward spiral of destruction and judgment, everything now, including the creation itself, the earth itself is, and everything within it that is that is alive, is now under this sin curse. And so now, what has taken place the past few weeks? What we studied is verse, uh, you know, 14 through 17, and we kind of, or excuse me, through 19, and we dealt with the different judgments first uh, given to the serpent. Uh, that the end, that is the great promise, though what is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first giving of the gospel, that there was a coming seed that is going to crush the head of the serpent that is picturing, uh, first of all, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman to one day come through the lineage of faith. And then as well, it is secondarily pointing to the people of faith, that we are now victors in Christ and what he has accomplished. But then he says of the woman that the things that were meant to be her greatest joy are now going to bring her sorrow, and that is bearing children, right? Remember, God had said in chapter 1 and chapter 2, be fruitful and multiply. It was to be a joyful thing. It was a command. It was a, a good thing for them to populate the world. But now it was going to be, become a sorrowful thing. And now her husband, who was to, to be her joy and to be the one that she was to be a helpmeet to, they would be united together. Now there's going to be division. Now there's going to be discouragement. Now there's going to be fighting and, and, and all of these things. And so now everything that was perfect and good and innocent is no longer perfect, good, or innocent. It has lost what it was meant to be. And now we get to the place then where he judges Adam and says, now you're going to have to work for your food and you are now going to taste a physical death. It is a promise not just for Adam, but for everyone that has ever been born. If you have been born, that means you are going to die. And unless you are born again, you will die a second death. And that is an eternal death, a forever death. Now, After we get all of that, it seems like we're leaving on some bad news, but chapter 3 does not end there. Here's what takes place. Verse 20 immediately, and we miss this, and I've missed this for a long time until studying. Verse 20 gives us hope again. Look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. She was called Eve here. And by the way, she's called Eve here, and we have the name Eve only four times in the Bible. And, and several of those times, it is in reference to that she is the, the mother of the living. But notice that before this was Eve called Eve. No, she didn't have that name. So what was she called? Here we've got this up to Genesis three twenty. Eve is only referred to and called woman because she had been taken from man. Genesis chapter two, verse twenty two and twenty three. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So God to make Adam had literally reached down into the dirt, the creation of which he had made, into the, the red mud is the idea, had formed and fashioned him as the potter does clay, and had formed and fashioned nostrils and breathed the breath of life into him, making him a living soul. Then he puts Adam to sleep. He takes then from Adam a rib, and then from that rib, he does what he had done with Adam with the dirt, he now does with the rib to create Eve, to create woman who is taken out of man, and now they are united together in in, in marriage and into fellowship with one another, and for her to be the help meet, and so here's what takes place. We not only see her then as a woman because she's taken out of man, but then we find her referred to as female. Chapter one, verse twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image, and the image of God created He him, male, and female created He them. You would say, but Pastor Joe, in Genesis chapter one, we don't find Adam and Eve yet. We don't find them until chapter two and chapter three. Well, remember, chapter one is the overview of the seven days of creation, and chapter two gets into the the nitty gritty of the detail of the creation of man, the forming, the fashioning, the law giving that God gave to Adam, and of which He as well gave to Eve, in the sense that Adam gave it to Eve, and Eve knew the law because she re- quoted the law to the serpent, but she added it to the law, and that was her issue. Then we find that she's called female, right? There's male and female. There is no in-between. There is no other way to put it. You are either male or you're female. It's plain and clear. It is not just that way from our own idea, but God does not just do this in his word and say there's male and female. He does so and says so biologically. He creates Adam differently than Eve. Adam is made to do what Eve is not. And Eve is meant to do what Adam is not. Yet, they are both image bearers of equal worth in the eyes of the Lord. They are both equal in their um, responsibility in the sense that they are responsible to different things. Yet, Adam bears a great responsibility of being the federal head of all of humanity. So if Adam obeys God, so does the rest. But if Adam disobeys God, so do the rest. And so Adam disobeyed God, so because of one man's sin, because of one man's disobedience, sin and death have now passed upon all, for all have sinned. She is then referred to as a helpmeet in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. Adam was not made necessarily for Eve, but Eve was certainly made for Adam. And the two would be united together. God certainly had even mind when He made Adam. And, and, And in doing this, He unites them together. Man and woman was meant to be together. It is the fall that drives man and woman apart. It is the fall and sinfulness that drives man to man and woman to woman. This is the issue of our day, is that sin drives us away from what God has designed for us to have. And what sin does is causes us to do that which is right in our own eyes, and not that which is right in the eyes of God. Third, she is then referred to as woman, as we talked about, because she's taken out of man. She's referred to that in Genesis uh, 2, 22 and 23, and then as well in chapter 3, all the way through. Notice it says, uh, He said unto the woman, and the woman said, and the woman said, and unto the woman, and the woman then took and gave to Adam, right? We see this, to her husband. Then she's referred to as wife a few times in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 and in chapter 3 verse 8. So, she has a designed role and a designed responsibility. And before the fall, she's able to fulfill those things perfectly as was Adam. But up to verse chapter 3 verse 20, she was not called Eve, but yet we know that she's Eve because of verse 20 of chapter 3. So that's why beforehand we go, well, that's Eve. Well, that's Eve. Well, that's Eve. The woman's Eve. The wife is Eve. The helpmate is Eve, right? It's important as to why Adam calls her Eve, all right? It says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve. Remember that God earlier on had said that it was Adam's role and responsibility to name all of creation, and he brings the creatures to him, and he lines them up, and you could even imagine them coming in male and female, or two by two, if you will, and he's naming them right? Horse, Tyrannosaurus, Rex, chicken, right? The whole, the whole works, right? He's going down the line. Well, now he gets to Eve and Eve is not just some sort of other animal, but rather this is sort of a new awakening. When he saw his wife before the fall, she was good. She was innocent. Things were pure, but the moment after the fall, they both realized their nakedness and now things are different. And after these judgments, you would think that Adam views her different as well. Well, I believe that he does. Eve's meaning here. Swinton writes, Adam's name for his wife, Eve, literally means life or a life giver. Let me pause there for a moment. This is very important. They're facing death now. Spiritual death immediately took place the moment that they ate and disobeyed God. And yet he calls his wife's name now Eve, which means life or it is the idea of giving life. This is going to be important, all right? So stay with me. Sorensen continues on, and he says, Some have taken the position that he in faith so named her, taking God at his word because she would bring forth seed, according to chapter 3, verse 15. The name Eve appears only four times in the entire Bible, twice in Genesis and twice in the New Testament, Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2. So, I believe that what is taking place here is that Adam is responding by faith. We'll get into that in a moment. Her name is going to be important because it's going to set forth the rest of the Bible. If her name means death, well, what's only going to come from her? Death. Her name is then still called Eve, which is life and life giving. What do we immediately find after this passage? If you've read your Bible, what happens in Genesis chapter four? And Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord life, right? And so on and so on and so on. They would have a multitude of kids. They were having kids a whole lot longer than what we are today because they were living a whole lot longer than we are today. Right? Remember, Adam, he, he lives to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. right? And so th- these folks are able to reproduce at a much faster rate, at a much um, more effective rate, if you will. And you can blame the different dyes or, or things that we've got today. Nevertheless, they're a whole lot less removed from the fall. They're living a whole lot longer, so they are able to do such. Now... It is going to be woman, and only woman, that can carry life. I'm not sure if you saw, but in the news just in the past week or two, I believe there was a doctor in India who is saying that he is able to take a, a uterus that is, has a baby growing inside and to transplant said uterus into a person who was born as a male. And that they believe that the baby is going to be able to grow and survive. That is wicked. It's wicked. Only a woman. And notice, even in their logic, they're trying to say that, see, a man can carry a child. No, a man cannot carry a child because guess what? Even if it were to work, and I pray and I do not believe that it will work, you're having to take the biological parts from who? A woman to try to make a man do what a man is not meant to do. A man carries life, but just for a moment. Then the woman carries it the rest of the pregnancy. God designed it in such a way. The man, as the Bible even tells us, carries seed. But she is the one that gives life. She is the one that carries the child. It is in the mother's womb that God says that he forms and fashions us and knows us and cares for us and protects us. It is the womb that is meant to be in the woman that is to protect the child, nurture the child. And Then, it is only woman that delivers life. Can you imagine, have you ever thought about this? Eve being the first woman, right? And now you're pregnant. That's exciting, scary, different, because she ain't been pregnant before, and you get to give birth. We don't get to go over to, you know, some nice fancy hospital like, you know, down the road in Galax or just over the road in Whitfield or something, right? You don't get to go out to the barn and, and have a midwife come. No. What do you have? you got yourself. You've got your husband. That's a scary thing to think about. And it wasn't that long ago that this was taking place a lot. We weren't getting ready, able to go to hospitals and go to constant doctor's visits and to be able to see the child before the child is born, all these things. But it is only woman that carries life and delivers life. One commentator writes, Here, first name, her first name pointed to her origin, out of man. Whereas her second name points to her destiny, the mother of all living. I believe that's very important here, because Eve used to be identified solely and only through her position in the home. She was a wife. She was a helpmate. She was a woman taken from man. But now, she is now going to be identified by her greater purpose in the plan of God, and that is to bring about the one who will crush the head of the serpent. It is not just that Eve is going to be able to pop out some babies. It's that through Eve, life itself will come. What did Jesus say in the Gospels? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You say, well, Adam and Eve didn't have Jesus. No, where does the lineage go? Jesus. Why? What's the Old Testament about? Or rather, who's the Old Testament about? Jesus. Who's the New Testament about? Jesus. Who is the promised seed to crush the head of the serpent? Jesus. So through whose lineage is the Redeemer coming? Through her. That's the great promise of the Gospel in chapter 3, verse 15. And so through her, now she's going to be known as the mother of all living. It's the idea of not just everything that is alive. You know, We can go back to... We can trace lineages. This is why the Bible is accurate and clear. This is how they've traced... The amount of time that the Earth has been around because of the lineages. And guess what? Where, where does Jesus' lineage go? To her. Where does your lineage go? To her as well, somewhere down the line. Congratulations, you're all related. All right?? right? Somewhere along the lines. you some, some long-lost cousin, okay? Uh, up here, now yeah, you might, it's pretty easy to be cousins up here, but nevertheless, we're cousins, down the line. We see we've got one group of people, one family this comes from. This is why there are not multiple races. And there are many who have used the Bible, sadly, in an unbiblical, in an irresponsible fashion to say that there are cursed races of people due to the amount of melanin in their skin. That's not biblical. There is one race and it is the human race. And sadly, because of its sin, it is a fallen race. It is a fallen people, but it is Christ who humbled Himself to take on flesh, to die for all of humanity. Now here, what is, as Sailhammer continues on, I don't have this in there for you, this is mostly for me, but I'm going to tell you about it. Ironically, in the same section of text that the man and his wife are forbidden access to the tree of life, lest they live forever. She's called life. The life giver. And what's about to happen is that they're going to be banished From the way of the tree of life? Are they going to be banished from the garden, no longer able to go to that tree of life? There's some irony there. But really, what we see is that the great truth is that life does not come from the fruit of a tree. Or, right, remember this. When what was the sin? Was it eating fruit or was it disobeying God? What was the sin? disobeying God the means of disobeying God was eating the fruit though so all throughout the rest of the Old Testament we find this blessing and cursing motive which is the idea that if God's people want to be blessed and will be blessed it will be through faith and obedience but if they're gonna be cursed or judged it's going to be because of disobedience and unfaithfulness what we also find in the Old in the New Testament we find a similar instance don't we right when I'm obeying the Lord Things are a whole lot easier, even if they're tough. I have at least fellowship with God, even if uh, gas is expensive, my world's falling apart, and I ain't got two dimes rubbed together. God is still good. I still have fellowship with him. Things are good. Obedience is necessary and it's key. So here this brings us to the question, is his naming of his wife by faith? I was asked actually about a month and a half ago, about right over here actually, by a couple people, was Adam and Eve saved? The Bible never tells us that they had this sort of moment like Paul walking on the the road and there's a light and why do you persecute me sort of thing, right? Never tells us about a baptism. Doesn't tell us about some sort of Mount Sinai experience. What I'm going to go through here is I believe that the fruit here of what we're going to see in the next few verses is the fruit of faith. Now, let's look at this. First of all, is this by faith, naming his wife Eve, is this by accident that she's called life or life giver or the giver of life or the mother of all living? I don't believe it's no accident. First of all, Matthew Henry writes, number one, if this was done by divine direction, it was an instant of God's favor. And like the new naming of Abraham and Sarah, it was the seal of the covenant and assurance to them that notwithstanding their sin and his displeasure against them for it, He had not reversed that blessing wherewith he had blessed him. Be fruitful and multiply. It was likewise a confirmation of the promise now made that the seed of the woman, of this woman, should break the serpent's head. So, first of all, Matthew Henry writes and he says, "All right, if you don't want to take it as it's Adam's faith that names his wife Eve, and you just want to take it as God's direction that he says, call your wife Eve, well then, nevertheless, it's still God showing and signifying that they will be fruitful and multiply and that through their seed, the seed of the woman, will come life and even more so through Eve the life giver will come Jesus the life giver. The giver of eternal life. The giver of everlasting life. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life and the resurrection of the life. The one who without Him there is no life. The one in who her seed will come to Christ is the very same one who created life in the beginning. Let's not forget that either. But I love what Matthew Henry writes about this. I believe he had a better and a more simple understanding of what we do today. He talks about this as an instant of God's favor and like the new naming of Abraham and Sarah, we forget Old Testament saints many times had a name change, didn't they? What was Abraham's first name? Abram. What about Sarah? Sarah, right? And so we see the name change. What was the name change for? What was, why was it important? Why did these things happen? Well, they happened for a reason to signify the covenant of God upon their life, that God was going to fulfill His plan and purpose and His promises to them. And He was going to use them. All that they needed to be used of God and to know God was one little word, faith. It was by faith that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what has always saved a soul? Faith. I've heard some people say that they got saved a different way in the Old Testament. No, they did not. Not one sacrifice ever saved a soul in the Old Testament. Not one. Even on the Day of Atonement, it would cover the sins of the people for a year, but guess what they had to continue to do? Continuously... You sacrifice what saved the soul grace through faith. It is oh, salvation only ever comes as a gift of God's grace because it's not deserved. Does anyone deserve it? Not enough animals could be slaughtered. Not enough law could be kept because no one could keep the law and no one could slaughter enough animals, right? You could slaughter an animal once a year and guess what? That still isn't good enough because the next year you have to do it all over again. And only one person, who was worthy, if you will, who still had to make a sacrifice for himself, could then go in on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people. What saved souls? faith? How do we know? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all the way down through. How about in the wilderness? Do you guys remember the time of the wilderness? The people that sinned against God. God sends in serpents. They start biting people and people are starting to die. And they say, Moses, do something. Moses talks to God. God says they sin. If you want them to be spared, make this uh, brass serpent and raise it up, and those who look will be saved. Well, what was a look? If I told you, right, if, if heaven forbid, right, we broke out the snakes that we keep in the back, right, just kidding, right, and one of them came slithering out and bite somebody round right the neck, And now you're going to start to die. And I tell you the only way that you can survive is if you look up here at this pin. You're going to think I'm crazy, aren't you? You're going to say, get me to the closest hospital that has the proper medication, right? <laughs> we'll debate where that, that might be. I don't know. You're going to say, get me somewhere who's got medicine. They didn't have that. How were they saved? By looking to a bronze serpent. They... It has always been faith that has saved souls. How about the New Testament? How are you saved? By grace through faith. Faith in what? Or faith in who? There has to be the object. And it's Jesus. Always has been. Whereas the Old Testament, they looked forward to God's provision and promise of a coming seed to crush the head of the serpent. You and I look back at that at Calvary. The serpent's head has already been crushed. Right? We already have victory in Jesus. And now our life gets to be lived, not trying to chase victory down, but rather living out of the abundance of victory that's already there through what Christ has accomplished. We have seen now at Calvary God's provision and God's promises fulfilled, and we look forward to the day of the promise of his soon return. That's salvation. By grace through faith in Christ, where they look forward to one. That was Old Testament. We talked about earlier, Old Testament. Jesus is Concealed. New Testament, Jesus is revealed. But yet in the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 all the way to uh, the good old Italian prophet of Malachi, right? Malachi, right? What do we find? Jesus. Every, every book. He is the object of redemption because He is the Redeemer. He is the object of the Word of God because He is the divine Word of God, the Logos of God. This is all about Christ. And so when we see that Adam called his wife's name Eve, it is no mistake it is looking forward to going from death unto life because every sinner is looking to be redeemed. Every sinner knows that they're missing something in their life. And this is why they will chase their chase in their life to fill up this emptiness inside through through drugs, alcohol, sex, through religion, through good works, through politics, through a multitude of things. But what will fill it? Nothing except for Christ. Nothing. And so they go and they search and they search and they search. Why? Because every sinner knows that they're missing something. Something is not right. It's not meant to be this way. I'm missing something. What we're ultimately missing is eternal life. An assurance of that life. And this is why when you do get saved and you know you're saved, you will know that you're saved. It is unmistakable, the change. It is unmistakable the work of Christ in you. It is unmistakable that you have now passed from death, from nakedness and shame as they were in the garden, hiding behind a tree, covered in fig leaves that you sewed together to now you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what we're about to see in the next few verses. They're going to be getting clothes that they did not earn, that they could not produce, that they could not make, that they did not know how to make. Salvation is of God. And the means of salvation is by His grace, through faith, in His provision and promise. Now keep those two words all throughout this booklet. Provision and promise. And as you read the Old New Testament, you will find God's provision and promise. And how do we receive His provision and His promise? Faith. Faith unlocks the door to His provision and promise to His people. Faith unlocks the provision and promise of salvation. Faith unlocks provision and promise of eternity. Now, as we move on here, the continued storyline of redemption flowing from Genesis 3.15 certainly shows that the lineage of Christ is not only the lineage of those of faith, but as well of those of life. Because if you have faith, what do you now have? Once you put your faith in Jesus, you now have life everlasting life eternal life it's already right now but already not yet right it's i've got eternal life right now i'm already seated in heavenly places but yet physically i'm not there yet am i no i'm right here but yet we are two places at the same time i'm already there pastor joe's already there right that's it if i killed over now i'm already there it's okay this is just our mortal flesh so what is this a promise of This is as well a promise of something greater. A glorified, resurrected body. Adam and Eve's bodies are no longer good. Adam and Eve's bodies are now beginning to slowly decay. Granted, it's going to take them about 800 years. (laughs) Right? What a problem, right? (laughs) No age cream, no nut. 800 years, right? But look at this we see this whole redemptive storyline that Eve's seed is going to bring life. What comes from Eve? Life, the life giver. And that seed, who is the resurrection of the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who gives life, the one who creates life, the one who takes life, the one who laid down his life to offer us life, it is going to be through Christ that crushes the head of the serpent And the serpent will be cast away into an eternal death. And all those who have not believed in the seed of the woman by faith, who have not believed in Christ, they too will die the second death and be cast into a lake of fire where even death in hell itself will be cast. That death will be crushed to death by her seed. What we find is the simple truth all throughout the Bible is that there is no life without faith and that faith brings life. When you were lost, you had no life. You were alive and existing physically, but you had no life within. You were dead spiritually, dead in your sins and trespasses. So what do we find? They go from verse 7, and the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. They heard the voice of the Lord. They hid themselves in the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. What is that? It's a response of a dead man. Dead people run from God because they know that He is life. Dead people run from God because they know that He is light and they are darkness. We see the separation. But what do we find here? Adam now calls his wife's name Eve because she's the mother of all living. That there is now going to be life promised and provided, not through Eve's goodness but through God's work through Eve in the lineage that will continue on down the line to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how the whole Bible is not just these little chunks and little letters and little sections. It is one unified body of work to point us to Jesus. Then we also see that the fruit of faith in the seed of the woman is life and blessing. When you put your faith in the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, what is there? There's life, eternal life, a newness of life, a resurrected life that one day will have a resurrection. And there's a blessing. It is life-giving. It is a blessing to know Christ, to put our faith in Him. We are the most, and should be the most, lively and blessed of people on God's green earth because we have faith. We must never forget this. We must never walk around in our old nature, in our old flesh, in the old way. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That though this body is temporary, though this body is dying, that through Christ I can glorify Him because He's given me life and He's given me the blessed hope. He's given me the blessing of knowing Him. Second, Matthew Henry writes this. If Adam did it of himself, right? remember first he says, well, if it's divine direction, then God's just signifying, well, it's the covenant. Life's going to come, forgiveness is going to come, hope's going to come through her. So there you go, Adam, right? But two, and I believe that this is, is, is right. If Adam did it of himself, meaning naming his wife Eve of his own accord, and hold on, let me pause there for a moment. I don't have this in your notes because it just dawned on me. This makes more sense for Adam to call his wife Eve on his own accord because what had he been doing in chapter 2? He'd be calling naming, naming all of creation on his own accord. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Notice that. So whose wife is, is Eve? It's Adam's. She belongs to him, he belongs to her, and he calls her Eve. does not say God reached out and said, Adam, call her Eve. Adam now looks at his wife and says, Eve, because she is the mother of all living. There we go. You're welcome. That's free. It was an instance of his faith in the word of God doubtless it was not done as if some has suspected in contempt or defiance of the curse but rather in a humble confidence and dependence upon the blessing let me pause there for a moment they are now totally dependent upon god they have to be the issue that took place is that in the garden the reason why they eat is pride they believe that they know something that god doesn't or that god is withholding something that they that that they could have that's good for them. What happens here in this is that they defy God because they cease to be dependent upon Him. In the Garden of Eden, everything was there. Everything was provided. Who grew the vegetables and the fruit in the garden? Did Adam or did God? God. He made it. He spoke it. There it was. Adam didn't have to wait for for harvest season to start eating, right? He didn't have to wait a few months down the road until tomatoes started coming up. It didn't work that way. They were there. The issue with us and our sin today is we sin because we stop in that moment depending upon God. In the moments of our sin, we depend upon ourselves to either provide or to uphold a promise of which we can never keep. But when I depend upon God and His provision and His promises, has He ever not upheld those? Right? He's always upheld those. That's who He is. So when we sin, it is because in that moment, we are now depending upon ourselves. That is the root of sin, is it not? So, in this Matthew Henry continues, he says, The blessing of Redeemer and a promised seed to whom Adam had an eye, and calling his wife Eve, life, or life giver. For he should be the for she should be the life of all living, and in him all the families of the earth should be blessed in whom in hope of which he thus triumphs. Faith brings about life. Life through Eve is going to bring about the one who is the true life giver. So, remember these two words, provision and promise, all right? Here's what I want to address for just a moment. First of all, what is the provision? Provision is God's work. Provision is God's work. How did you get saved? Did God provide it for you or did you provide it for you? God provided it for you, right? God provided a lamb. If you remember later on, and we'll get into this once we get there in a two, three years, to <laughs> Abraham offering Isaac. <laughs> we, got, we got a little way. Now, we will get there, I do promise you, right? What does Abraham tell Isaac as they're going up there? Isaac says, Daddy, there ain't no sacrifice. Abraham does not say, uh, well, boy, uh, mean to talk to you. No. He says, God will provide sacrifice. So the whole Old Testament is trusting that God will provide sacrifice. So every day of atonement, right, that covers the sins of Israel for for a year, what are they doing? Are they actually doing what they can and know how to bring about eternal salvation security? Or when they sacrifice that lamb, When they sacrifice those rams and bulls and goats and all that, what are they doing? They're trusting that God is going to provide a better sacrifice. Not only did God provide a better sacrifice in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Remember John said, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, there He is! And for Israel, when you'd see the lambs, behold, there's the Passover Lamb. There's the Passover Lamb of whose... Sandals, I'm not worthy to unbuckle or, or buckle. Then not only is Jesus the provided lamb, but he's the priest that provides the sufficient sacrificial work. Only Jesus, in his provision of his death, burial, and resurrection, and now seated down, shows that the work is accomplished. God's work is finished. And that there is a coming eternal Sabbath and day of rest. What did God do? After day six of creating everything, he had the Sabbath day, day seven, day of rest. Did God, was that, was God tired? No. Did God need to kick his feet up? No. It was that God was no longer creating on that day. He had nothing new to create, nothing new to do. And it was in uh, the giving of that Sabbath day for the good of man, but as well to picture what is to come later down the road. But how do we get there? Man was never meant to just stay here on this earth forever. We were meant to get to something more. And that more only comes through God's provision. Nothing you, with your hands, or with your heart, or with your mind, can ever provide salvation. Nothing. The only thing that you provided for your salvation is the sin which made it necessary. I didn't come up with that. A whole lot smarter men come up with that. It's not me. You and I, what we provided for our salvation, that was it, just our sin. God provided the Lamb. And God, the God-man, was the Lamb and what we find Him called in Revelation. The Lamb. Over in Revelation. I want to do this. I don't know where it's coming from. I'm just going to go with it. Revelation 5. And not one of the elders saith unto me, we, it, and one of the elders saith unto me, we not behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne on the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb, capital L. Why is that? The Lamb of God, as it had been slain. And then in verse 8, and they fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song to the Lamb. And then in verse 12, worthy is the Lamb, and unto the Lamb forever and forever and forever. Right? He's always been the Lamb of God. He's always been provided means of salvation for souls second god's promise right we got the provision the promise of god what is that if the provision of god is god's work the promise of god is god's word all right this is what he has spoken he has accomplished the work of our salvation at calvary and in that empty tomb but how has he promised it through his word How do I know about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? The promise of God's word. The promise is not just saying, I will do something, but it is the promise of, I have done something, right? The promise is that what Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. The work is done, provision is provided, right? Now, the promise has been made so that all who come by faith can. Look to the Lamb and worship Him and know Him forever and forever and forever. So we find the provision, God's work, the promise of God, God's word. Now, y'all ready for this? You want to know what the whole Bible's about? Who's the whole Bible about? Jesus. Jesus is the provision of God. He's the one that accomplished the work. On God's behalf. But what else? On man's behalf. It took God to satisfy God's own wrath. But it took man to represent man. But no man could represent himself to God because how can we as sinful man go to God? We can't. We need a mediator. Job said it best. I need, if there was only someone a days to go betwixt us. Between me and God. If there was only someone who could go between us. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who represents God and represents man because He is God and He is man. He is the God-man. And there He provides the work that is necessary for God's wrath to be satisfied and for man's sin to be punished. Ain't that good stuff? God provides all that in Christ. How about the second part? The promise of God. Who are all the promises of God wrapped up in? Jesus. Not Moses and the law. Not Elijah. Not Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets. As a matter of fact, all those people, they spoke about Jesus. It's not found in Paul. It's not found in Peter. It's not found in John and James and Jude. It's found in Jesus. And all those men spoke about Jesus. Jesus. Because the promises of God are wrapped up in Christ. Remember, what was the promise of God? The Word, right? Provision is God's work. Promise is God's Word. What is Jesus called? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? The Word. He is the revelation of God, He is the revealer. He is the one not only that represented God to man and man to God, but He is the one that revealed God to man so that man can now be reconciled and have. Relationship with God again. And it's only through Christ the mediator. It is only through Jesus, God's provision, and God's promise, God's work and God's word. Now, with this, we find it the outflow of this in Jesus' life. What did Jesus come to do? He says, Oh man, we're out of time. Okay. All right, we're getting John chapter four, real quick. John chapter four, real quick. Too late! I beat you. John chapter four, verse thirty-four. Jesus saith unto them, My meat. Remember, this is the woman at the well. And the meanwhile, disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that you know not of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus says unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus Christ. Is the provision of God, what did he come to do? His own work? No. He came to do the work and the will of the one who sent him. Who's the one who sent him? The Father. The Father that sent the Son, and the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us. Now, moreover, in John, John chapter 6, look at verse 38. For I came down. From heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. All right, this is good stuff. Look at this. Jesus Christ came to do the will of God the work of God, right? He came to be the provision of God and the work was accomplished when Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But Jesus Christ as well is the promise of God. He is the word of God, the Logos, the revealer of God, the father, because he was sent by the father to do the will of the father, to do the work of the father, to provide the word of the father, to preach Not his own message, but what the Father had sent him to do. And here's what he sent him to do. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son. This is deeper than seeing physically, isn't it? This is much more. Remember, the the Pharisees saw Jesus, but what does he say after seeth? And believeth on him. What do we call that? may have everlasting, what's that word? Life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So, go back to Genesis 3, verse 20. And we'll be done, because I better quit. i got about four more hours. <sighs> chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Jesus Christ, the provision, the promise of God to do what? He just said it in John chapter 6. To do the will of the Father, which was what? To provide and to bring the promise that all who see Him and believe on Him by faith will have everlasting life, and He will do what? Raise Him the last day. So what do we find? This is it, and we'll be done. Verse 20 is the great promise, as we've already seen in the Bible already up to these three chapters, that the earth is not all that there is, that there is a greater life. It is an everlasting life. There is a tree of life, if you will. That tree of life is Christ. And those who eat of Him by faith will have everlasting life and will be resurrected to life. One day this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. So, look at this. This is cool. This is not in your notes, alright? Sorry. Chapter 3, verse 7. You back up. Before then, what are Adam and Eve clothed with? They have on skin, right? They have on skin. They have innocence. They had not sinned before God yet. They're innocent. What happens in verse 7 of chapter 3? Eyes of them both were opened and they're naked, yet now they're clothed with something. And it's more than just their fig leaves that they sew together. It's they are now clothed in mortality and corruption. So then when we get to God meeting with them and then giving judgment in a pronouncement of the gospel. Adam says her name is Eve because she's the mother of all living. Because the promise of Jesus being the provider and the promise fulfillment of God does not just offer us eternal life, but in order to get to eternal life and throughout our eternal life, what do we have the promise of? A resurrected body. A resurrection to immortality where our mortal bodies of which Adam and Eve now have after the fall that you and I have been born with will one day be immortal and will one day be incorruptible. That's end time stuff. That's last day stuff. That's rapture stuff. Right here. Ain't that neat? That that ain't in there, but there you go. I'm going to circle this. we got to get done. I'm sorry, y'all. Thank y'all for being patient. Tonight, there's so much stuff in here, so much stuff to see. And what we find throughout these verses and what we find throughout the rest of the Bible is this: God has made a provision. God has made a promise. Both His work and His word are not found in religion. It's not found in fig leaves. It's not even found in sacrifices of bloody animals. It's found and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's Son. Look to Him by faith and live and look forward to the day of eternal life and that glorious resurrection day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to You. We thank You for this time. God, I just thank You for revealing things for Your Word. Lord, You've given this to us to know You. Lord, not just to, to read and, and put on the mantle, but God, You've done this because You love us and You care for us and You want us to know You, Lord. You've given us all that there is that You've desired for us to know You with. So Lord, help us to be dependent upon the Spirit, to be dependent upon Your Word, Lord, to look to Christ tonight, to to trust and to walk by faith, to live by faith. God, that we would be filled and strengthened, that tonight we would leave here tonight rejoicing at at the work that Jesus has done for us and, and that He is the provision, He is the promise that You have given to us. Lord, may we carry that message upon our lips. May we be grateful in our hearts. God, I pray that you would use us as we seek to do these ministries through our church and, and Lord, through your church and through this building and through through your people here. God, I pray that we would keep Christ the focus of all things. We love you and we thank you for this time. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.